Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 164. The last episode we did there was with um, Kate Rawls. Kate's story's quite the story. I think it would be fair to say, Kate, uh, I spent, um, when I went over to Ukraine last month or two months ago now, uh, I drove with one person. You had to have two people in the car. Uh, and Bill was a great guy. We had a great chat. And, and somewhere along the 1,300-mile journey, um, we got chatting about the podcast and got chatting about all that stuff. And and I'd mentioned there was an all-in series, you know, people that aren't really anything to do with food and farming. And Bill had said, oh, my sister would have quite a cool story. And I've said it a few times, like, when people hear you've got a podcast, you hear that all the time. You're like, oh, you know, such and such a cool story. And you sort of got to consider, well, is this actually going to be entertaining? Um but it was, <laughs> absolutely was. Kate's story is pretty impressive. Uh, go listen to it. She's She built a bike herself out of bamboo. She then, over the course of 13 months, cycled the top to bottom of South America um, and then took a cargo ship from Ushuaia, which is right at the bottom, not the Ushuaia and Ibiza, all the way back up through the Panamanian Canal and then through um, through to back to back to the UK. Uh, and that's just one of the few things she's done. So it was a great episode there. And I just want to plug one other episode, which would be just before that. On Christmas Day, we did release an episode, uh, which will be, um, it's, it's a bit of a Christmas special, just a bit of a chat about the podcast and how it's went and how our 2Ks went and, and all that sort of thing. But Quite a few folk have been asking for a podcast about me, you know, what I'm doing, what's happening, and believe it or not, no matter how much I sort of spend my time in front of a bunch of folk, I actually feel a bit weird doing it, but we did do it, Ed interviewed me, and um, all good, just to chat about the last few months, which have been pretty intense, and then also going into going into sort of what my Nuffield plan is as well, which is obviously what a lot of the podcasts at the minute are about, <laughs> so um much like today's episode. So today's episode um, is with another one of the Nuffield cohort, the 2022, tw- sorry, 2024 scholars. Um, and that person today is Ivan Roberts. Ivan, would you like to say hello? Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so I'm Ivan Roberts. I'm 28 years old and I'm currently managing a, a large scale dairy farm uh, in Leicestershire. Just before we get started with another episode of the R2 cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, Howden Rural, formerly known as A-Plan Rural. Howden are heavily involved in the social media scene in the ag space with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories, as well as posting to their rural community blog with further articles about these people in the sector. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Howden Rural for that. We'll, uh, we'll we'll sort of get into the Nuffield side as well in a minute, which is which is a good story because I had a had a chat quite late on on the the Wednesday night with you about it. Um, <laughs> just before we get into all that stuff, uh, could you tell us about Ivan about sort of your your younger days? You know, it's it's always quite interesting. I, I love to to ask this question and and the the podcast and all this stuff came about basically originally because folk were asking how did you get into farming um, and it's quite cool to see what folks backgrounds were were you from farming yourself yeah so it's a, it's a slightly uh, simpler beginnings than uh, the uh, before mentioned uh, lady building the the bicycles out of um, <laughs> bamboo there um, but um, grew up uh, sort of in in north wales uh, about halfway between civilization and and, and some sheep and hills um <laughs> so just near near Rithin. um so my father it's quite an interesting story my father had always the, the farm was once a, a dairy farm milking 20 cows back in back in the in the uh, 50s and 60s and then grand, granddad passed away sadly and so father always wanted to to turn the farm back into a dairy farm and went into milk when everybody was coming out in 2005 um and this is when uh sort of the the milk quotas were still enforced and the milk price was on, on the floor and, and dad was going in which everyone thought he was crazy um dad also had a hoof trimming business as we grew up and so we've always been in and around dairy farming um dad was was also he, he's quite well known in the area for being uh the first dairy farmer in North Wales to put in a, a robotic milking parlour and the first to rip one back out again um, <laughs> within three years. And so I fell out with that. And um, I guess 
a grand my grandparents also had a small dairy farm up on on a well side um milking about 40 high yielding holsteins um on what the locals would say my granddad was another guy milking cows on the side of a mountain um so dairy farming is very much ingrained in in our family um you know the only caveat for me is the fact that i've always been interested in sort of larger scale dairy farming whereas the family's always been sort of on the smaller scale um maybe i've got a bit of small small man syndrome or something about me but i've always been interested in sort of big business and farming at scale and so moving away from from home for me was was really a, a bit of a, a journey in terms of trying to craft uh, a, a large-scale dairy business at the end of it um it's a first off ruth and i spent i spent quite a bit of time in clan yeah um, yeah and i actually have a friend that works for uh he's reading calves and ruth and that's terrible it's a company that does it it's not just you know just not, not is, it, just... is it the calf company is that the name or is it yeah i think so it's, it is it's probably like associated with butala yes yes that's right yeah yeah, yeah so yeah that's how, how ruth and springs to mind but um out of interest i mean you, you said sort of everyone thought your dad was crazy and stuff and and <laughs> i guess in fairness understandably so was there method to the madness was there a reason uh, that, that well, was reason being like I think Dad knew I was interested in dairy farming, but I was it was two thousand and nine, so I'd have been in year nine in high school, and Dad had, he was he'd basically set up uh, uh, what you would call now in nowadays like an artisan dairy farm where he'd bought like a really old dilapidated breast milking parlor, and he was milking fifty cows or sixty cows through an old shipping, which completely inefficient. Um, uh, and uh, and and basically, he was juggling the, the the hoof trimming business, and needed more time with the family. And so, really, he was sort of sold by the, the salesman at Fullwood. Really, that that the um the milking robot would be an answer to his to his labour problems. Um, I, th- I so, think it seems to be that that's the case now. I think it's also, you know, the only reason I'm saying this, I'm not in dairy farming at all myself, but having brought a lot of folk onto the podcast, it seems like in that sort of mid-2000s where it was becoming a thing that people were getting more and more sort of here and there, it didn't quite live up to the hype. <laughs> Whereas now you're sort of, you're seeing that hype now that is, they are trustworthy and there's, yes, there's issues, of course there is. Um, and some folk are still completely against robots, which is fine. But um, yeah, that's that's a tough one. But <laughs> Well, the challenge for my father, I think, was we've always been, I think one of his downfalls was because he was a hoof trimmer, seeing a load of different dairy businesses um, from day to day, running all sorts of different systems with different cows. He was being drawn left, right and centre you know, was he grazing? Was he high yielding? What? And he'd come home with all, all of these ideas that he was picking off all the different farms, and it kind of meant that the dairy business ended up being quite sort of fragmented and a bit um, dyspraxic in a way. I suppose it was. Um, it, he could never settle on whether were we and so we were trying to graze cows and pushing for sort of higher yields um, through a robot. It it became a bit of a melee, really of of um yeah different ideas and so yeah. in hindsight for grazing he could have done with just putting in a really efficient parlor uh, and there's loads of good examples in ireland where there's de- smaller scale dairy farmers milking less than 100 cows but also having a day job yeah so for they sure. just have a really efficient milking parlor milk in the morning go out and do some plumbing or some tiling and then come back and, and milk milk in the afternoon and so that that would have suited him better, but um, but yeah, hindsight, as I'm sure you've found in your career, like you can look back and you can spend a huge amount of time looking back on what you what you could have done differently. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess we've got to just keep on tracking on forward. You definitely could, and I think a lot of time, a lot of people, sorry, spend a lot of time looking back and thinking, oh, geez, I should have done that. Like I am very much of the. It's done. Learn from it. 
let's move on and see what's happening. And you you mentioned you're year nine. I've got to try and get myself with the Welsh and English system. What's that about? 16 15 is that right the what sorry you said you were year nine at that stage is that is that about 14 15 age yeah 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 Yeah. i'd have been uh 14 yeah i would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information about our primary sponsors howden rural the new name for a plan rural howden rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates this could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. Be sure to check out Howden Rural today. So not too long before you were coming out of school, did you did you move straight back to farm or did you go to college or anything like that? Yeah, so I went to a local ag, ag college in Tisfasi. Um, I think I started there in 2012 after finishing my GCSEs in the autumn and finished that in 2014. Um and sort of humming along in the background, I was, I think I knew from an early age, like I'd always helped my father and I was quite sort of financially driven, even as a young kid, um, you know, uh, where my mates would be down the park playing football. I was quite often uh, mowing lawns for some of the elderly people on the lane um, for a five year and there. And then uh, I was helping dad on the farm when I was in school and, and for instead of wages, he, he slash uh, father Christmas uh, delivered eight, uh, 18 ewes um, for, for Christmas in 2005. So humming along in the background whilst I was in school, I was sort of rearing my own livestock, um, which then sort of became a business um, in 2015. Yeah, so, Good I finished college. <laughs> Sorry. Good old um, Santa always comes in with what you need. <laughs> yeah, and like I think that's one benefit to growing up on a farm is like business and finances and paying bills and tax was sort of a conversation that was about at the dinner table. And it's made all like I've got three sisters and me and the eldest. I think it's made if it wasn't without its down uh, downsides in terms of like it was very hard work, but it's made us all very hard working young people. Um, like uh, all four of us now are in are in either in pretty full on education or or in in decent jobs. So um, talking finances was very much on the table, and it got me fully wired into. I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial, and I wanted wanted to have my own business. Um, it's it's uh, one thing that you know I, I work in education at sort of a higher level in school and you know we're doing looking at but not me <laughs> at all I understand it for myself and that's about it, but not teaching it but you know looking at how business operates and stuff like that I think it's one major failing of schools is the fact we never learn about taxes and NIs and all that stuff I mean surely you should be learning that in school like um, so yeah I think you're right <laughs> it's, it's probably you know I probably wasn't aware that I was sitting with mum and dad having those chats, but I was, and I've always been subconsciously know how the majority of that stuff works, you know? Um, but yeah. yeah, I think schools should touch on it a bit more, but yeah, there's only so much you can change the curriculum, unfortunately. Well, or even, like, there's not much you can do about the... It's, it's really tri- tricky to change the curriculum, but maybe we could challenge some parents to to maybe... Like, it should should, should be... could be the parents' responsibility a little bit as well, just to just to, to have some conversations. I know it's not exactly like prime time, exciting chat at the dinner table, but like, I, I'm very glad of that, that that was part of my upbringing. And I think it's sort of instilled a bit of hunger in me to go out and do something with with my time that was worthwhile. So, Yeah. And, and t- tell us about that hunger because you've moved out and, um, you know, like you said, you're always more interested in the sort of large scale uh, than than sort of the rest of the family, as you said. And yeah, like what you're talking is pretty notable. So tell us, tell us about your sort of transition out of college and then finding your way into employment. Well, I'd say probably the lowest point of my career was pretty early on uh, in dairy farming. So I, I graduated from Tisfasi with an MD um, in 2014, and in that summer, my father sort of through connections um 
he got a like a share farming deal on a slightly larger dairy farm that was five miles down the road from us, which um, was going to allow for us to grow our herd from 50 cows to 170. Um, and I thought, uh, I remember we sort of, we agonized over it over the summer and um, came to an agreement. So sort of in the autumn, the milk price was really good. They were strong in sort of late 2014 there. If you remember, it was just before everybody fell out with Putin and, and the Ukraine stuff began and, uh, and and we were still friendly with Russia just about. Milk price was really strong. So I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be an absolute cakewalk. Um, uh, so we got this uh, share farming deal and I was basically, my father was going to carry on hoof trimming and I was going to be the herd manager on, on the share farm. Um, so we got going there. Massive excitement for me. It was quite a... Um, it was a well-known farm in the area, so everyone knew about it. So it was, it was like a big deal. Um, there was me all full of beans. And within, I think, about a month of uh, being in there, the first letter came in through uh, through from, from our milk buyer then, which was Glambia, that, that, that the milk price was heading south. Um, but little did we know. I remember us talking about it, just thinking it was going to be a blip, but it ended up developing into a full full-blown if anyone remembers who's listening seeing farmers dressed as cows throwing milk down the bin at the supermarkets and protesting it was around the 2014 15 16 era um and it was a complete disaster if, if you were going to go into a joint venture which was going to be marginal anyway because you had still a relatively small cake being split two ways and if you're counting me three ways and um yeah i mean it was every month there was a letter saying that the milk price was coming down further and we were already below our cost of production and so and and uh it sort of led um in 2016 well 2015 2016 my my parents split up um so yeah there was 19 year old me thinking that dairy farming was going to be a doddle and within two or three years I was completely on my backside mum and dad had split up and uh, we weren't making any money uh, dad couldn't really afford to pay me so I was sort of working some fair I was learning all my lessons early on uh, and it was, a we it was a weird feeling getting up at, at sort of half five six o'clock in the morning working until half past six in, in the afternoon and we weren't really any better off for it um and mum and dad were falling out, so it was yeah. a complete disaster. Every, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Um, it's, I mean, forgetting, which is obviously not possible, forgetting the personal difficulties, which is obviously probably the hardest part of it all. Um, I, I started college in 2014, and I, um, I, I wasn't from dairy farming, so I didn't really know much about milk price or anything like that. And we started in in August, and it was about October, November, I think it all started to go downhill from memory. Um, yeah. And pretty much all my all my time in academia, I knew of the milk price being low. <laughs> you know, that's just, just how I knew. So that was a terribly unfortunate time to go in. And obviously, like you're saying all the other challenges. Um, well, the timing couldn't have been worse. Yeah. Yeah. What what stage did you? So I, I sort of know where you are now and obviously know when that was, but how did the sort of transition happen? Was there bits in the middle or did you did you stick it, well, out it was, for a while? So that, that was sort of my baptism of fire and my lowest point would have come sort of in 2016 where I knew Dad couldn't sustain carrying on like it was going to ruin his business if we were going to stay there. And so he needed to consolidate, which sort of had me asking well where the hell do I go yeah. and like from an emotional point of view I put a lot of work in and it was quite it was the gossip the hot gossip at the time where everyone was sort of <laughs> it felt like we were very much in the press and um and the yeah uh, mentally it was really tough um but it also in a weird way it was the, the positive lesson that I learned was it gave me opportunity. So dad had no more cash to put into the business, but we were having to stock the farm 
And so it was around 2016. And also, everybody else was feeling the pinch. So cow prices were under pressure, downward pressure. So there was a lot of cows for sale for not a huge amount of money. And so it was, yeah, 2015, I started my, I set up my business account with HSBC and went to Beast the Market at 19 and bought 12 cows at a dispersal sale, at her dispersal sale. On average, I think it was about £920 at the time. Uh, and started off from my, my own sort of herd ownership journey with 12 cows, um, which I started leasing. So my father was already leasing to the agreement, and I started leasing my own 12 cows. Um, my first my first ever invoice to the business was for £136. So I'd spent about nine grand of my entire life savings that I'd been scraping together, mowing lawns for people and uh, helping out with, with various jobs and fruit stalls and all sorts and sunk it all to get 136 pounds worth of income <laughs> for the month um, which didn't feel overly exciting to start with was, um, was that quite scary at first because that's a pretty major you know decision to make yeah well if, if you talk about putting all your eggs in one basket that was 100% what I was doing but I was pretty fired up about it like I really wanted to own lots of cows and um had some savings and I figured the money's not really doing anything in the bank. The interest rates were pretty low at the time. So why not? The cows needed more, the farm needed more cows. And uh, so that's why sometimes some of the worst circumstances can sort of breed opportunity as well for if, you, if you're ready to take it. Um, what, what numbers did you build up to in that setting? So... Dad then consolidated to go back to the home farm in 2017. So it was, I think it was April Fool's Day because we we then we took about 150 cows out of the share farm back home and we milked them all through our 12-pointer breast uh, Victorian age milking yeah. parlour. And it took, I think, about five hours the first session and we got it down to a record of about four so it was <laughs> and really like manual labor sort of work as well it was really heavy going and uh i was saying we were the fools on april fool's day that day um but i i then so dad didn't really have work for me at home i knew i wanted to go and do my own thing uh i also had these cows that dad didn't have room for so i'd built up i think i had about 18 cows leaving the share farm and i'd bought another 30 calves um mm. so they were like half a calves and um so around that time i was looking i advertised on facebook looking for people and there was loads of dodgy people that wanted to lease cows and i had like a, a an a3 sheet full of full of them and then i had some good candidates and Somehow I, I got hold of the contact for Evolution Farming, which they'd leased cows in the in the past, and I sent them an email to which Tom said, could you come down to our Leicester site, which was new at the time to them, and we'll have a conversation. Um, so I drove down there in my little Vauxhall Corsa in, uh, in, April, in, I think it was May of 2017, and um, we came to the conclusion he'd, he'd he had plenty of cows. He didn't have any room for any more. He didn't want to lease my cows, um, but he, he had a job for me. Um, so I then turned to one of the other farmers in, on my A3 sheets and sent the cows to on their way to, to Shropshire. Um, Is that Tom uh, at Nuffield? So Tom at Nuffield, Tom Rawson, yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. soon to be. I think he's going to be a chairman. Uh, yeah. Play to him soon, so. Oh, good guy. But, yeah. Good guy, yeah. Brilliant. And, and do you know, it's funny you mentioned it, of course, I think. I had a similar situation at a similar age. I think I'd be, I'd be a bit younger. I'd be a bit older than you, sorry, at that stage. But I was 22 driving down in what was at the time about a 15-year-old Corsa to interview for the first big thing that had happened in my life. Um, that went well as well. But uh, yeah, what, what, how, how does that... Go? Weirdly, it, was, it wasn't the um, enormity of the the idea of having an interview, which should, should have been what I was nervous about, was more the fact that I'd never really drove on many motorways. So oh, really? <laughs> flying past Birmingham, past the RAC centre with like spray coming off the lorries and not being able to see much further than 30 metres was uh, 
yeah I remember just gripping onto the onto the steering wheel whereas now I've done so many motorway journeys it's just like another job it's no big deal it is, it is quite a big thing at first I mean I, I, probably similar to yourself only difference is where I'm from is an island it's just just as rural like but um, I always remember the first time I <laughs> driven off the island and went about 40 minutes down a dual carriageway not a motorway uh, and got this town and I'd taken a photo just a selfie of the place and put it on Facebook at the time as you do and uh, folk had genuinely commented like did you drive through yourself like did you do that you know and, and mm. I, like you know drove to London a few months ago and like <laughs> just so used to it never stopped driving mm. I did 42,000 miles last year like sickening um but uh, yeah, no, good stuff. Could you tell us tell us about where you are now then? Because it's it's quite an outfit. <laughs> uh, yeah. So at the time when Tom sort of gave me the job here, um, Leicester was their new site. I think they'd only just been milking there for about six months, and they'd just commissioned their their twin uh, twenty four forty eight milking parlors. Um, and they had a manager in at the time. And yeah, they were milking about 550 cows split block, I think. Yeah. And I joined on as like a general farm worker, just a just a local jobby um, for eight pound an hour, I think it was at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, I spent about a week on that with Tom on his home farm, and then the manager up and left abruptly in in their unit in Lincolnshire, which they were milking about 250 cows there at the time. He he left for personal reasons and yeah tom came up to me on the tractor when i was 21 years old saying uh oh, this place is very much like mcdonald's uh one day you're sweeping the floors and uh, the next day you'll be running the place and uh handed me an envelope with uh the farm in lincolnshire's postcode on it so that was another mm-hmm. adventure spent a year there milking 250 cows and then the manager left at leicester um i think it'd been quite a tricky start for him and uh yeah, was finding the the whole staffing job uh, quite difficult, and um, that gave me the opportunity to come down to the, I guess what has been since then the, it's been sort of the flagship evolution farm. Really, it's quite a big concern for them. Um, they were still, yeah, I think they were still split block around the time that I joined. We were milking about five hundred and eighty cows by then, um, and yeah, if we fast forward to now. Um, we're currently milking a thousand and seventy cows now, and we're all in one spring block in twelve weeks. Um, and uh, I guess part of that growth has sort of been driven by me. So in COVID, my COVID project, because uh, we could no longer spend the 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 old cash on the on the beer tokens anymore. <laughs> um, I started owning cows here alongside my managerial job. So. Um, I've been able to buy and rear. I think we're up to about 370 milking cows now that are owned by me in a lease agreement here. So essentially like a third of the herd. What what age are you? Um, yeah, 28. Um, so you've went from, what was it, 12 cows back at 19 to 370-odd at 28. That's insane. <laughs> yeah but there is so i've got i've got um you know I've, I've been able to luckily borrow some money along the way with hsbc bank so i've got you know um a loan to pay off on them sure. yeah um but yeah essentially <laughs> well once once the debt's been paid which i'm hoping i'll have paid that down by next year i'll own them all outright even um, you know Forgetting the fact that you you own like you say like a, essentially a third of the herd, um, what what's the process involved in essentially doubling your herd? What five fifty to almost eleven hundred, not quite eleven hundred, but almost so. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's been a that's been a real interesting challenge, I guess, because like you go from, I think I joined with a four person team, uh, and now we're. Well, on the books, I think we've got about thirteen of us, um, with with the part time. So it's not just the cow; it's learning how to manage the team. That's the that's a real big one. Um, it sort of came about as well between me buying in and buying the extra stock. 
the estate was also going through quite a turbulent time, going through a, a variation of farming in hand to a contract farmer to then tenanting out some of the arable land. Along that way, we ended up picking up extra parcels. So we're, we're farming just over 500 hectares here now. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it, it just came, came about bit by bit, I suppose, and we've just had to take it in our strides. So it's a case of sort of taking on more land and infrastructure. It wasn't a case of it was there and you've just maximised it. Have you sort yeah, of I mean, the unit was built, so that's been the real challenge as well, is the, the infrastructure-wise, the unit's been built for 600 cows. And we've been just sort of bolting on, you know, so the milking powers are still the same size, so we're taking five hours to milk in the morning, but we're having to split shift that, so not, you know, trying to split the workload between the staff. Um, and, yeah, just really sort of sweating the infrastructure that we already have here. So lots of cows walking along the tracks and then we're crossing over a field to go to another field and <laughs> just sort of making it work as best as we can, I suppose. And away away from the actual parlour itself, you said it was block cabin. How does the system work? What how what how's it housed? How does that sort of work around the year? Yeah, so we're fully housed at the minute and it's sort of a quieter time. So the cows are mainly apart from seventy, they're all in calf now and they're at the very end of their lactation. So we'll soon be uh drying them off and we'll have a bit of a quieter time then over Christmas and New Year. Yeah. Um but come Feb, March time. It's gonna be go go go. Um, so like the 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 season, as I'd call it, so the, our year really. Or if you if you look at it in sporting terms, like if you're looking at it like a, as like a Premier League football team, the the season is won and lost for us in the front third. So it's calving and and breeding mm-hmm. is where the bulk of our work happens. And also, if we hit as many notes as we can in in that short period of time. Um, that sort of sets us up for the next season, uh, for the rest of the season, if that makes sense. You just sort of ride the wave then from there on. Yeah. Whereas if you get it wrong, um, it's it's hard work. You're trying to claw back both the financials of the farm and the cow performance if, if you get the calving and breeding wrong. So we've got that busy time that we're sort of preparing for now, um, which incidentally coincides with us tripping off to Brazil in March, which is uh, going to be an added stress. But Which was the just... exact caveat I was going to say was you mentioned the start of March and I was going to say for two weeks you won't be there. Um, yeah. Yeah, so moving on to the reason you and I met and the reason, uh, you know, this is happening today um, as Nuffield. I mean, you, you've, you know, you, <laughs> you've mentioned that what I really enjoyed, I think, was I haven't interviewed everyone yet, but I've interviewed, we must be over halfway now, um, mm-hmm. got to know a few of the group when we were there as well, as busy as it was. You, you hear sort of scholarships and whatnot, and sometimes people get things and you're like, I don't know if you're quite the right person for this, but I've not came across anyone yet in our group that I'm like, I don't know how you got in here. You know, it's it's such mm-hmm. a scrutinised, I mean, I actually really enjoyed the interview process, but you weren't getting through it if you didn't know your topic, yeah? So, like everyone else, very much yourself as well, you... <laughs> Yours is about dairy entrepreneurship. I think having heard the last half hour that we've just spoken, you're pretty well versed in speaking about that yourself. Um, but how did that come about? And and before we even get into that uh, itself, why Nuffield? Did did you speak to someone? I'm guessing Tom was the person, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, Tom is a massive advocate for it. Um, so pretty early on, he he'd have been t- talking to me about it. And that's it's through him I've heard about it in the beginning. And then I've been fortunate enough. He's sort of taken me and a couple of others in the business along with him to sort of this conference that we've just been to was my third um, annual right. conference that I've I've been going along as a guest before. Uh, it was a great honour to go as a, a having mm-hmm. been you know, given the award. Um, why Nuffield and why now for me? Um, so I've sort of reached the point at this farm and in my sort of managerial career where I want to scratch the itch of trying to find my own farming opportunity if I can. So that would be transitioning from being a paid manager, working for a company to essentially starting my own business, dairy farming. 
out out my own out on my own, and um, I figured doing enough field, especially on the topic that I'm looking to do it on, would be a good way to like I'm already pretty well immersed in dairy farming, but I'd like just a bit of a refresh refresher really mm-hmm. um, to get to get me fired up on the next step, and so I figured it was a good time to go, especially doing it on sort of quite a people orientated topic. I know that if I want to be successful in dairy farming, I'm going to need to take some good people along with me and inspire some good people to work with me. Um, and I'd really like to be able to sell, you know, parts of my business as people have done with me over the years. So I want to figure out, well, how is best to do that and how am I going to find the best people to come and work with me on, on my farm? Yeah. And so that, that's kind of why it's it's just the right time for me. People say that there's never a good time to do enough field because of busyness or family reasons or whatever. But for me, it felt like just the perfect time. I think with something like Nuffield, you know, the more we've got into it and the more with whatever, I think that there's never the right time to do it is so true. But there's also a million reasons to not do everything. Like, I mean, mm. it's going to take a lot of time. And by the very nature of people that do Nuffield scholarships, they're probably busy anyway. <laughs> you know, it's not. Yeah, yeah. They want busy people. Yeah, of course they do. And what was it yeah. someone said to me? Um, I'd been asked to do something, a speech somewhere. And uh, they were like, oh, you might not have time. And I was like, yeah, class, do that. And uh, they were like, you're not quite busy. And I was like, I don't know, it's fine. Quite a few things on, but whatever. And what they said was, um, oh, I can't remember. I've heard it before. If you want something done, get a busy person to do it. And it's so true. Like, find time and they'll get it done right. Uh, and, and you just found that with everyone at Nuffield. Like, that was the sort of mentality that was there. Um, could, could you tell us exactly sort of what, what your topic is then and, and what the plans are for that? You know, where do you plan on going and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, I've just got to be careful with my title because uh, uh, and I've, I've been agonising of it because it almost sounds like it's... I don't want it to sound like it's sort of self-promotion, but... Right. Like I do feel really strongly about getting young people into the dairy industry and we are struggling to inspire talent to come and we're under under pressure from serious competition from other industries that are taking the talented people away. So uh, my topic is inspiring the next generation of dairy entrepreneur. Um, and I guess I'm hoping just to touch on uh, people who not only want to just milk cows and sort of work in the industry but also potentially have an eye for starting their own business or being entrepreneurial in some way in you know, around dairy farming um i think it's brilliant i really do. i mean you sort of be, you said be careful of title and stuff like that but i think no i think it's absolutely required um and like you're saying i don't know if the pressures you're talking about are, are alternative products but uh, that's certainly a big thing but there's a lot of people that are going going away from agriculture or finding careers elsewhere when their when their sort of skills and knowledge could be used here for better in the sector, for for bettering themselves as a, an entity like like you're kind of talking about um yourself, you know, and it's just yeah, I think I think it's so well placed. I really do. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2 cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, the Scottish Farmer. And I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Um, the, the interesting thing in terms of here, just farm specific to here, is in, in my six years on this farm, we've never struggled to find people to come in to milk the cows. Um, and a, a lot of those people, I mean, one of the top guys working with me at the minute, he came from Deliveroo uh, and KFC fame back in 2018 i think it was now um and he'd never done dairy farming before he fancied working outdoors and i think he had a bit of attachment to the farm because his family had worked on it generations before and um and now he's second in command um and and the majority of the people i've worked with here have come from non-farming interestingly Uh, and a mixture mixture of boys and girls, which is really exciting to see. There's especially going forward. There's there's a real strong movement for for women in dairy, um, which is there's actually a convention now, which is great to see. And we've had as much success here in terms of 
talented people of both genders. Um, and um, yeah, I, the, the only struggle I've found in terms of making my job easier is then trying to motivate those people to take on some extra responsibility beyond just doing the job actually you know helping achieve kpis and uh, improve what we're doing and to be answerable to results um you know people would often prefer to be paid a lesser salary to have no hassle and no responsibility than they would be to chase you know a better wage packet and potentially a performance bonus the same as i've done and then to progress onto cow ownership and then to joint ventures and then to their own farm that 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 bit they find quite intimidating and i'd quite like to do my study to write a paper that they might read one day and think oh actually like ivan has probably spent his time wisely here and it's been worth his stress um <laughs> You know, it's essentially you say about women in dairy. I mean, you even just look at our cohort and to those listening, sorry if I've missed you, but off the top of my head, Laura, Sophie, Saba, Rachel, unconventional dairy, sort of goat based, but even even um, Natalie's is that as well. Yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah, it's absolutely it's good to see. It's very good to see. Uh, and I think farming had and I think still has the sort of the, the mentality of our teachers say you know if you don't get all the grades and whatnot you go into farming um mm -hmm. I think I've got that to a point and it's mad when you look at how data driven and how progressive the technology is in this sector like it's kind of insane that that's still the perception when we know so many people in the sector obviously you and I know more people than those not in farming but you know it just it seems mad to me that we're in that spot and it takes folk like yourself to sort of push that push that envelope and try and get more folk involved and what what countries have you outlined to go to so i've got um i'll probably start off in ireland um that's quite a well-trodden path for, for pastoral dairy farming and they've got some really good colleges and stuff over there for young people to get inspired into like good dairy farm management courses and things um then on from there, I'll go to New Zealand. Which I'm looking to spend a, a fair bit of time there because they, they've done as much as anyone really in terms of making a pathway, a straightforward, simple pathway for a young person to go in as a general farm worker and to end up as a farm owner at the end of the road. So that they, they, they're a must, basically. Um, then I've got China, which is a bit of a, a bit of a curveball, but they're like a really growing, well, they're the world's largest dairy consumer. And they're now looking to try and produce a chunk of that milk from homegrown in China. Yeah. So there's a massive new startup dairy businesses over there. And I kind of wanted to go and see who are the brains behind that and how are they driving efficiency, having started from a standing start, really. For sure. Yeah. Um, and then I've got Chile. So Chile's also got a really good dairy farming climate and is quite a growing dairy and there's there's some good multi-site dairy businesses over there so that'd be quite a cool thing to go and see and then Brazil to, to Chile are you just gonna keep going or not have time at that time of year uh probably the wrong time of year for me um but yeah I mean I need to do, do some more research as to when's the best time to go and visit the place and uh and then finally the US I'm gonna go over that there was when i did some research building my profile uh they they brought out i think two years ago the nestle right. needs youth program which is to help it they call it an agripreneurship mm -hmm. uh incentive in america that's there to help young farmers uh get into dairy farming basically and i wanted to see how successful has that been yeah definitely i can give you some contacts in the ffa which is the future farmers of america if you want um which is I think oh, yeah. seven million students in it now obviously i'm not talking about putting you in touch with the high school kids but some of the folk involved in it they've got just endless opportunities um which i'm sure would be helpful um china is china it's china yeah it is the name of the place is it it's like is it mishongarang or mishongalang or something like that where it's 110,000 head and it's essentially just a city built around this dairy farm. <laughs> yeah. 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 
I mean, they're, 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 I assume that's built from the fact that they were important so much from New Zealand and they're just trying to do more in country. Is that where that came from? Yeah, yeah. And I think that there were some challenges um, over, like, they've had a couple of scares, the health scares with some of the yeah. imported dairy products. So that they're looking to try and, I guess, gain some food security. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was just quite keen. They're really, this absolutely mega setups and i wanted to see as i know myself you know moving in sort of similar circles around here with with some large scale dairy businesses there's always sort of a brain or a driving person that's making those things work and making them tick and i wanted to see whether you know have they got some local homegrown talent from the area that have got interested and got into it or are they bringing people in from overseas you know how are they delivering that? Um, because it's from the figures, like some of those large scale dairy businesses that they've started in China have already shot into like seriously good performance, like averaging 13,000 liters with 10,000 cows straight off the bat. Like, yeah, how have they pulled that one off? Um, <laughs> it was the, it was 2008, the baby milk thing, wasn't it? Yeah. San Lu, I think the comp San Lu, I think I can't remember. Yeah, it was, it was an issue, yeah. Yeah, major. Um no, it sounds brilliant. It sounds really interesting. And um obviously we'll both be going to Brazil, which will be good. Uh I'm very much looking forward to it. I've glanced, very much glanced at the itinerary. And even at that, there must be about <laughs> I don't know how many things there is on a day. It is gonna be packed, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Um and yeah, it'll be good to see you again. Because I mean, I think the thing was with with the convention, albeit we all spent a bit of time together, there was 400 folk there. Like, you know, there's no way you could really get to know each other. You and I spoke for about five minutes one night, but I mean, that's that's sort of how it went. And and I think apart from if you were sat on that first day with people, which for myself was Cormac and Rachel and, and you know, Charlotte as well with Yasmin partner, but um, you didn't really get a chance to fully speak for ages. And I'm not the latest goer truth to be honest i think i might maybe join in a bit more in brazil but uh, yeah just in general i'm not so yeah it'll be good to sort of catch up and really get to know everyone then um but first off thank you for for the chat uh, i appreciate your time but there is a uh, before anyone runs away <laughs> there's a uh, there's two questions that we ask everyone and the first one is where do you see yourself in five years now if you continue at the progression you have done for the last 10 it'll be quite impressive um and then secondly if you had any advice and you're probably quite a good person for this question actually any advice for folk coming into farming what would they be uh so where do i see myself in five years um i would really like to see myself i guess as a standalone dairy farmer on on my own farm um milking upwards of three to under cows and I guess hopefully helping some other young people gain opportunities in the dairy industry um, I know that sort of further down the line I probably won't achieve it in five years but my main goal from the outset has been to achieve a certain level I've got it I've got it in my mind somewhere but um, a, a level of time and financial freedom um, which like I think my father found and my mother found quite hard to attain. And, you know, I'd, I'd quite like to spend a bit more time with my kids, I suppose. Um, even if it is on the farm, I'd just like to have more time and financial freedom in my 40s. So that's sort of a further goal, a long-term goal. The midterm is, is to, to achieve that through dairy farming. So, it's a good uh, advice to, to people getting into farming. I would say work really hard early on if you can find a good place to go and work on a farm work really hard on making yourself invaluable to the business that you're working for um you know adding value wherever you can being super positive and a team player and some somebody that is nice to be around and then if you have aspirations of sort of having your own farm one day with a, a tenancy or having some animals of your own as soon as you can, try not to, to follow the live fast, die young mantra of like just 
earning money to spend it, try and put some money into something sensible as well as gaining experiences. So I'm not saying don't do any travel or any socializing, but I would say just have an eye. I mean, they reckon that um, the Chinese can manage to save about 40% of their wages uh, on average, and the UK isn't even five. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're quite often complaining about the cost of living crisis and how difficult it is to get on the housing ladder. But I would say just from experience, me being quite thrifty in my um, early to late teens and on following on into my twenties is going to give me a whole lot of opportunity in my in my thirties as a consequence, and it's going to buy me a lot more freedom in my forties. Um, which I know sounds really boring and it's hard to do, and I'm by no means like I have done a bit of travel and I've definitely done a fair bit of socialising as as well as saw probably at the bar at the end of the Nuffield conference. Try and spend money on experiences, but avoid wasting money on materialistic stuff is, that, is what I'd give as advice if anyone hearing that advice should take it it's me I am terrible I generally am I mean yeah find myself in a position where I have pretty high earning capabilities and just I'm earning well and I just I spend it all I'm terrible for it I'm terrible Um, I really need to get better like uh, and, and have in the last few months but I mean still it's, it's bad so yeah no good good advice and one more than just the listeners should take on board, I think, to be honest. But uh, no, here, mate, it's been a pleasure. Appreciate you coming on. Appreciate um, having the chat again and sort of, actually, well, I'll say again, actually having a chat uh, and sort of getting down to that and, and getting to know each other a bit more, which is always good. Um, as I said, look forward to March. It'll be good fun. And uh, for those for those of you listening, maybe you're someone out there, I've certainly had a few folk get in touch that are looking to get into dairy. I mean, I probably... This has got to be one of the episodes to listen to if you're in that position and you're interested. And if you are interested, you probably want to look out for for um for Ivan's um Nuffield uh, report once it comes out. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for coming on. For those of you listening, that's been number one hundred and sixty four. Um, the next episode is I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. We're, we're about a month ahead at this point. This will be coming out. We're filming this on like the 4th or the 5th of December and this will be after Christmas, maybe even New Year. So, um, yep, thank you for this. This might be the last one of the year, actually. Uh, thank you very much for your support over the year. Last, basically, 21 and 22, both years, the total combined episodes we released was 73. And then this year, I think it's been 92 so uh, yeah a lot a lot of episodes been released on the r2 cast so thank you guys to you guys that listen um yeah thank you all for listening and we shall see you for the next one see you then i hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the r2 cast as much as i have and i would just like to quickly thank our primary sponsors of the show today howden rural the new name for a plan rural if you follow Howden Rural on social media, you'll see the plethora of work that they do to support this sector, and it's been a pleasure to work alongside them so far, and long may it continue. For more information about them, be sure to check out howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural, and I'll see you for the next episode.